Most of the time, we're trying to impress the people that we were meant to impact. Always fear the quietest man in the room. Remember the people who sacrifice to make your journey possible. Inspiration is something that you do that keeps you hungry. The biggest failure is to succeed in a life that's not you. Welcome back to another powerful episode of the Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony, and every episode, we bring you a dose of inspiration, wisdom, and compelling stories that are sure to take your mindset to the next level. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get it. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, uh, someone who we haven't really had someone like Jorge before. We were just talking about it right before we jumped on. Uh, but we have Jorge Zamani, Zamani, ooh, Jorge, help me out here. Zamanillo. Zamanillo. Thank you. I was going to say the American way and completely butcher your last name. So thank you for the help. I appreciate it. Uh, but we're so happy to have you and, and welcome to the Mindset Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. And as you know, we, we always start with uh, two fun questions. And we're really, really excited for these uh, warm-up questions. Gabe and I were, were going over it last night, and we couldn't figure out. There was just so many we wanted to ask you, but we narrowed it down to what we think are the two most interesting questions hopefully you've ever been asked. That's what we're going for. So the first one is, you know, you're, I, I must preface and, and give some context to our listeners that you know uh, a lot about history. I think you know a thing or two about history and in the world, but specifically in Miami, you were the executive director for about five years of the History Miami Museum, but all in all, you were part of uh, History Miami for over 20 years, and right. now you're the founding director of the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Latino, which is a great initiative and, and great work that you're doing. So with that in mind, what is something about Miami's history that most people don't know about? Well, that's a great question. Uh, you know, there's a lot of history in, down there in South Florida and in Miami. And I think, uh, at least when I was in the museum, maybe people were recognizing that, right? And then I, I think they were realizing that, that people were in South Florida for a lot longer than 100 years. Everybody assumes, you know, Miami was foreign when their family got there, probably. But, uh, you, you know, so, so there were earlier settlers in, in the area beyond, you know, the, the formation of the city. You know, it, this goes back 10,000 years. The people don't realize that. There were Paleo Indians, people moving down to the South Florida region over ten thousand years ago, uh, and that's always mind-boggling for some. You know, this is the end of the Pleistocene. It's probably a little cooler, drier climate, and you had people chasing what we consider megafauna, and that—that's you know the, the technical term for you know mastodon uh, animals that are much larger than we see today, saber-toothed cats and tigers. You had. Um, you know, dire wolves, which people think only exist in Game of Thrones, these large wolves. You had a Pleistocene horse, large California condors. So you had these large, large animals that were, you know, going south, migrating south, looking for a warmer climate. And they were being, you know, chased. They were being hunted uh, by people, Native Americans that were living here 10,000 years ago. So, you know, those fossil remains, you know, have been found, uh, the color fossil site near, near, near the Deering Estate in South Dade. And people don't realize it, that our history, you know, that that history goes back that far. So people have always been going to South Florida for one reason or the other. And I guarantee you it's because of the weather and the location. And that's still going on today. Right. That's so interesting, Jorge. And I feel like, yeah, like I didn't myself being a Miami native, born and raised here. 
I didn't know how much history really went back and you know, as ignorant as some of us are, we're like, okay, Miami's history, the Cuban immigration and the cocaine cowboys, that whole Miami vice scene. That's what I feel like most people might think of when they hear Miami history. So it's really interesting to get a little, a little snapshot of, of the real Miami history that most of us don't know. So thank you so much for that. Um, mm -hmm. On to our next, our next question. I think this is a really interesting one. And Anthony, I don't even believe we've asked, asked this to anybody. So this is going to be a first um, and it, it is, if you could be a fly on the wall in any meeting that ever happened, which meeting would you choose? Wow. I, you know, I think the, the, I think most people would say, well, it's a meeting between two historical figures or a meeting, uh, a famous meeting took place, a peace tree or something like that. I would, I would say it's more of a, an encounter, right? And then, you know, going back to that original question, because that is, you know, my background as an archaeologist before I became a curator at the museum. Yeah. You know, in South, if it was pertaining to South Florida, I would look to see that original meeting or encounter between European explorers and people that were living in South Florida before them, you know, Native Americans and Tequesta Indians. So you're looking here in the 1500s, you know, you know, we know that Ponce sailed by Biscayne Bay in 1513. But really, we're talking about much later, and probably Pedro Menendez and some of the earlier European explorers, Spanish explorers, um, in the 1560s, 1565. But what was that original encounter like at the mouth of the river, right? You know, when when European call them explorers, but really, you know, really they were there to you know, look at new conquests, right, new lands so that they could take over. Um, who was there before? Because we know that the Tequesta Indians were there, but we only know about them through the descriptions from that narrative, that Spanish narrative, saying, you describing who was there, what were they were like, what were they were doing, how many were around. But we know from archaeological record, including some of the sites being discovered, you know, currently in the mouth of the river, have you seen the incredible stories about more discoveries and more uh, villages being unearthed? It was a much larger complex than was described. You're talking about a huge, yeah. you know, village that extended from the river all the way, probably, you know, a mile each way, south, north, and west. That's big, you know, and that's just one village, right? One area, the main village, the main capital, like you, I would call it the Tequesta Indians. But there's a whole array and network of small campsites and villages along the river and the Everglades along the ridge down south to the north by Olita. You know, that I, I would love to hear, you know, I would love to see what was that like? You know, was there resistance? Was there, you know, what was the reaction? What really happened that day, right? The, those first few days. When for the first time, you know, many indigenous people encountered European exploration. So, anyways, I, I digress a little bit, but it's, it's, it's not much more of a let's say a meeting between Jose Maiti and so and so and so. It's more like this really changed the course of of South Florida, right? It changed the course of the United States, and that I think is kind of important. So, Jorge, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, because I know you wear many different hats. So, what do you do? What does a regular day look like for you? Yeah, you know, it's it's a whole new world for me now in the past year. Uh, like I said, before I was a director at the museum in Miami. Now, uh, but just about a year ago, I moved up here to the D.C. region to be the founding director of the National Museum of the American Latino, a job that started in May of 2022. Um, so it's a completely different uh, track, right, from my career. Now, um, I'm coming in at the beginning of the founding of a, of a museum, the development of a, of a new museum for the Smithsonian here in Washington, D.C., along the National Mall. So it involves a lot of, a, you know, fundraising and developing the vision, the mission, 
building the team, hiring people. Uh, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a lot of work and you're looking at a 10 or 12 year project. So it's a completely different track than developing exhibits and, and a vision for a smaller community based museum. We're talking about a national perspective now, a national community and how do we represent Latinos from all over the United States. That's really interesting, Jorge. And I have to ask, because as I'm listening to you and all the knowledge you have about history, I need to know, where did this where did this come from? Where did this interest come from? Were you growing up as a young kid in your history classes, really just soaking up and, and reading all the books? Or where where would you say that turning point was when you knew that you wanted to make this a career? You know, going back to your experience with History Miami, now being in D.C. with this great initiative, where would you say that interest really reached its peak where you're like, I need to make this a part of my life forever? Yeah. It, you know, it's an interesting question that um, it, it actually ties back full circle to the Smithsonian. I used to be a, I used to be a music major. I was a band geek in high school. I played, I had a music scholarship. So I started off at Miami Dade College and uh, I was going to go away to one of the state universities, but I stayed home um, and I was playing in, in local salsa bands at night at a Bayside when it first opened, they had a jazz band. Uh, so that, you know, I was doing that, but I, I didn't think that was going to be something I want to do for life, but it was paying for school. Right. So, <laughs> but, but, you know, like one year after I graduated from high school, I, I came to DC and I visited all the Smithsonian museums and the monuments, uh, one cold, you know, win wintry day in January, I remember, and it was snowing and it was, uh, frigid you know it was horrible <laughs> but it was a good excuse to stay inside and visit all these different museums uh, and they were all free right there's no barrier you can visit all uh, all of them and I spent, I spent three or four days here and when I got back I had this renewed passion for like learning more about history and archaeology and arts and culture and everything else there was to offer because you know you, you didn't really have that kind of exposure to the arts and history back in the 80s in South Florida there were only a couple of museums that had opened up and uh, a very limited exposure. I didn't even know there was archaeology in South Florida. I didn't know that was a, that was a thing, right? So I started volunteering um, at an archaeological site. Actually, where, where the football stadium is today, where the Dolphin football stadium is, there was an archaeological site there. And I would drive out there every morning before classes or after work and a couple of days a week. And I started volunteering. I got really hooked on archaeology and and uncovering, you know, discovering all this stuff that, you know, beneath the ground that you didn't even know was there. So that was really yeah. neat. So I started doing that. Then I switched my major from music to anthropology of all things, you know, like archaeology. And I transferred over to, to Florida State, to Tallahassee. And I finished my undergrad there. Uh, and, I, and I started working in archaeology, you know, as a paid archaeologist uh, technician. Um, and I stayed doing that for about, you know, 10 or 12 years. It was a, it was a good career. I really got into it and I, I discovered that, you know, as you're uncovering these artifacts, you're kind of writing history, right? Rewriting history because you're uncovering new things. You're reinterpreting what we do know already about people that were here before us. And that was kind of neat and you know, new. Uh, and then I got involved in museums. You know, I started, um, I started working at uh, History Miami. Back then it was called Historical Museum of Southern Florida. And, and I was actually a, an educator there, a part-time teacher when I was going to Miami Dade College. When I first got into archaeology, I was doing that in the same museum back in like 1989. I did that for a little bit while I was still doing archaeology, juggling two or three jobs, paying for school. Uh, then I went away, I came back, I did archaeology. And then in 2000, there was a position for a curator at the museum. Uh, and I got hired as a, cu a curator and, and I started working with exhibits and collections. 
Uh, and then I brought a lot of my expertise in archaeology and I redid the entire archaeology uh, prehistoric section at the museum. That was my first project that opened in 2002, I believe. So that was exciting and I got jumpstarted my career and little by little just moved into different positions and eventually I became the director of the museum, the History of Miami Museum. So it was good to, you know, evolve and, and, and work in all those different departments and exhibits and, and management. We developed the Miami Circle Park. I was a construction manager for that. Um, so it was good in education, you know, so it gives me a good perspective on like what goes on in every mm -hmm. department. It's not just one track and curatorial. And that's helped me over the years understand what other departments are going through, right? What people, what other um, colleagues, what situations they're dealing with and how I can best help them, right? So it's, it's sure, been a good learning sure, experience. Sure, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I'm, I'm curious to know, Jorge, like it, it, based on your experience, how can learning about history help individuals make a more informed decision and navigate through challenges uh, of the present? But, but you know, I, I really want to focus here on the future. Like how can we learn from our history uh, and apply not only to the struggles that we might be facing as a society right now, but also in the future? History is great to, to really set a foundation, right? Like to, to, to help establish like where we've been, what we've been through, what we've done, what's worked, what hasn't worked. And I always tell people, you got, you got to learn from your mistakes. You got to learn from history and it could be good and it could be bad. Uh, but there's just so much there and it gives you, it gives you this framework to understand, you know, everyday situations uh, and those experiences with, you know, things that other people have struggled with or gone through and how we got here. And I think a lot of people take that for granted. You know, they, it's just all about moving forward and, and, and creating their, their own experiences, but it, there's just so much to learn. And, and I, I always tell people, and to be more efficient, right. To be, to save time, uh, to learn from our, from our past, to shape that future. It's, 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 I think it's so, so important. And, and as, as people start thinking about, you know, careers and in certain fields and what they want to do, uh, to identify, like you said, identify, you know, who they want to be, it, it, it always helps. Like it did for me to look back and say, I didn't even know this happened. I didn't know there's this much history in one area like South Florida. So if I, if I were to move to South Florida today and I didn't visit a museum or I didn't know anything about its history, you would think it's all about, you know, tech or innovation or new people that are there from different parts of the world. And it is, that's great. We got to celebrate that culture and that leg, but you also got to celebrate the legacies, how we got there, how the city was formed. Right. How was Miami? How did Miami grow from what it was, let's say, in the '40s or '50s to what it is today? And that incredible incremental growth. When you think about it, throughout the '80s and '90s and 2000s, where it goes from less than a million to you know almost three million people today, that's kind of unheard of, right? <laughs> that's it's not that's not normal. But there's a reason that happened, and it's, and and you, so you can say, well, you can go back ten thousand years, you can go back five thousand years, and it's always been about geography. It's always been about location, accessibility. You know, from prehistoric people sailing in canoes throughout the Caribbean to Cuba and other places to today where you can fly to Central South America or anywhere in the Caribbean in less than an hour. That's think about that. It's really a gateway of the Americas. And that pattern has been going on and repeating itself for many, many years. I always think back to, you know, growing up, like I mentioned in elementary school, like I was a huge history buff. And I, I didn't re realize how much it might even help me with learning about the present and like Anthony mentioned the future and I wanted to ask you I know this this whole phrase of history repeats itself is quite common in a lot of people and I, I wanted to kind of get your take on it in your experience and all the knowledge that you have in all your experiences what 
would you say that's that's an accurate uh an accurate phrase to to say that you've noticed that you know trends or, or things that normally happened or have happened in the past can happen or will happen um later on in the future what what do you have to say about that and the people that talk about um history repeating itself yeah you know it's it, it's, it's a famous quote right and uh but it, but it's also about you know you know, accepting that you know there are patterns that there are there are ways to to decipher you know like you know certain patterns that can really help us guide us into the future um, but I think I think what people lack is that that ability to to do that right to do actually to learn from our mistakes or they, they may not be mistakes they might be more about you know, what can we learn from our ancestors, from our, from our family, from people that have struggled through the same things that we did. And many people can, many people can, can, can have that perspective, but for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's more about, you know, reinventing, being new, being fresh and, and trying to come up with their own, uh, you know, guiding system, which is, which is fine. So it's, it's a, it's a tricky system. It, it's a, that, that, that we live in. Um, I, I think it's more about, being appreciative for your culture, for your past, for where you come from. Uh, I think from, from many of us, including both of you, probably, um, you do have that kind of appreciation for your cultural legacy, right? For your past, for your parents, or your grandparents, what they've gone through, uh, where they came from, all the things that, that got to the point where they are today that makes such a difference in, in your lives and setting that kind of uh, guiding principles of who you want to be. And it is kind of like honoring what they what they put what they went through and for you to get to this point, and I think that's really important, especially for many Latinos and and, and us that come from immigrant families. Excellent. So speaking of history, and we we ask this question often, but I think it's very fitting for you. What kind of legacy is it that you want to leave behind? And some may argue that's the most important history that you can leave behind, the history of yourself. Once you're one, once everything is said and done and you can't speak for yourself, but only the great work that you've done on earth will speak for yourself. What, what kind of things do you think your legacy uh, will make up? Because you've done so much, Jorge, and you've really made tangible change. You've created things. You've founded things that will long outlive you. What kind of legacy do you want to live behind? I think the legacy I want to leave behind is for, for my, my daughter and hopefully my grandkids yeah. to one day be able to, you know, visit a space such as a museum we're trying to build here in, in DC where, you know, they can see their stories being represented. They can see their stories being told. And it's not the narrative that you find in an average textbook in school. Um, same way I wasn't engaged in history in high school because I didn't see my history in there. I didn't see anything about immigrants. I didn't see anything about Cuban history. Um, so I wasn't interested until I started creating my own, until I started exploring and finding that narrative and where it fit in. First through uncovering, you know, people's stories that weren't being told through archaeology and Native Americans. And later on, really narrowing that down to, you know, what's important to me. And, and so when I was offered this opportunity to, to build this museum, I finally saw something that, you know, I could go beyond just a local community in Miami, but kind of forming that legacy where you know, millions of visitors a year can, for the next few hundreds of years can actually have a space, a place in a national museum where they can see their stories being told and they can feel representation and they can feel as valued as anybody else here. Yeah. And does, does, are you hopeful for the future? And I ask this 
because I know there's whether true or not, and maybe you might know uh, what may be true that that I don't. But uh, there's a lot of talk in the media of of politicians trying to erase history, uh, certain kinds of history. Uh, is that something that concerns you? I will be flat out. I, I haven't looked into it and what's true or not, but maybe you you do. Is that something that concerns you of of people, politicians, people in power, business owners, large companies trying to erase a certain part of history that might be convenient for them? You know, you know, for us, for, for museums, it's more about, you know, telling fair, you know, balanced stories. And, and at least in the Smithsonian, we, we try to be, you know, nonpartisan, nonpolitical and, and show all the stories. Now, sometimes people may say, well, you're, you're doing too many stories about struggles and resiliency and, and how we got here. And say, well, those are stories that are not being told, right? We had to, we can't just talk about the Hall of Fame uh, people and the, and the famous personalities in our history. We got to talk about those stories that are not being shared in textbooks and in schools to make sure that it's balanced, that you have both things. And that's our struggle to get to that point. So eventually you will have uh, all perspectives being shared and that changes it up. And then, then it's obvious it's there. People can acknowledge it. And that's what's going to shape, you know, how we learn history, not politicians or anybody else telling us that. So I, I think, you know, we, we got to keep I hate using these words, but keep fighting the fight, right? You know, keep making sure that that represent, representation is there and that it, and we're uncovering those stories. And, you know, as we go out over the next 10 years and meet with communities and meet with all of you to see what stories you want being told in this new museum, you're going to shape that narrative, right? You're going to shape what's being told there. And that's what's important. It's not me or the Smithsonian telling you what to do or what you want to see. It's collecting and sharing those commonalities that we all have. Yeah, what's what's really interesting to me, Jorge, is that like currently right now we are writing history in a way. Right. And it's it's crazy because, yeah, when we were growing up looking at the textbooks, you know, that was what those events and those things that took place, whether good or bad, those were years behind. But now we're in the present where we're creating history. The things that we see on the news, what we read on the media, those are things that maybe our kids will read about one day in textbooks. What I feel so fascinating um, and my question to you is, you know, what advice might you have for an individual, uh, maybe graduating college, maybe even younger than that, graduating high school that is kind of like you wanting to get um, to be able to write that history, being able to preserve that history and fight the good fight? How can they get involved with maybe a museum, a local Smithsonian? What do you say to that person uh, for, the, for them to be able to pioneer um, their way into into the history space? Yeah, you know, I, I would take advantage of 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 all the resources we have today compared to when I, you know, when I started 30 something years ago, um, you know, I started by volunteering and interning and, and trying to find my a path and a way in. And I think it's a little, it's a little more accessible today, but what's, e what's easier to not easier, but what, what, there's a lot more creative ways to form a path. Same thing that you two are doing with this podcast. You know, we couldn't do that before. So, you know, is it some kind of creative journaling? Is it podcasting? Is it ways to record your family's history and their heritage? You know, you do your own oral histories. Think about it with your grandparents and your aunts and uncles. And you start there and start working backwards. And that's going to open up a whole new world of explore, exploration and, and learning how to do ancestry and genealogy. So there's a lot of cool paths that you can take today. There's so much easier to learn either through YouTube or through a podcast that, you know, we couldn't do in the past. All we had was books, and we, which I love books. But it was, they were kind of outdated by the time you, you, you read up on how to do something. Now you can stay on top of new technologies and new yeah. methods. And that's a big advantage. And I think people should really take advantage of that. 
they should really uh, you know, do as much as they can to learn what's out there and make it a product, make it something that you could share with other people like you're doing. And that's going to go a long way. Yeah, you know, you're so right. And, and I've never thought about it, right? Like, we have so much technology at our fingertips right now that I'm sure it helps a lot when you were probably hoping you had that, uh, you know, a couple years ago when you were finding out your path and doing all these cool things. Now we have the opportunity to maybe uh, skip some of the steps you took or just go through them faster because of all this great technology that we can use. Uh, but, but I do want to take a shift more toward your to talk about your leadership mindset that you have, your you're the founding director of a, of a major museum. I'm sure it hasn't been easy, the process, and maybe you're still in that process and, and still figuring out difficult things that you face every day. How, I mean, how, how hard has it been? I'm sure you've enjoyed it, I, I can imagine, but how hard have you been? And maybe share with us some, some of the obstacles you faced as a founding director of this uh, museum. Maybe some people thought, this is crazy, it's never gonna happen, and you're, you're persevering, you're going at it, you're going at it. Talk to us about that process. Yeah. It, it, it could be a little daunting at times. You know, we're looking at a project here that won't be finalized for another 10 or 12 years. So for many people, it's like, if it doesn't happen tomorrow or it doesn't happen next year, I don't want to be involved, right? I want to see it immediately in my lifetime. Um, so, you know, it, it, but it's shaping that vision about, about what we want this museum to be. It's raising a lot of money, which is a challenge. You know, we need, we need to raise over $500 million in private money, and that's going to be matched with appropriations from Congress. So this is a billion-dollar project. Uh, so it's a lot of you know, legwork, it's a lot of traveling to, to meet with people, to making sure that, you know, we have their support from corporations, yeah. foundations, private individuals, membership. So that, you know, that, that's, that's that aspect of it. But I think that one of the more challenging things for our Latino community is how do we find those commonalities among, you know, 23, 24 different nationalities that you represent, right. that you're representing as your cultural heritage, right? You could be from Cuba, Puerto, uh, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Colombia, Mexico, wherever you're from, you know, we got to find those commonalities, those shared experiences that bring us together. Because we could talk about how we got here. And if you're Mexican, you, know, you have family going back here to indigenous roots. You had family here before anybody was even thinking about forming the United States. And if you're a Cuban, like I am, you know, my parents arrived in the 60s. So like, so what do we have in common? And there's a lot of things about, you know, progress and migration, immigration, um, and it's really about those things that we share, those experiences that we bring us together. Miami is a perfect uh, city to to talk about that, right? You have some, you know, when I when I grew up in Miami in the '70s and '80s, I could tell where everybody was from. There's only two or three different nationalities being represented, and all of a sudden it exploded. And you have you know twenty some different nationalities that are Hispanic or Latino, plus Eastern European, plus you know all these different Haitians. You have so many different people there, and 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 it's. But, it, but it, what brings you together is when you, you embrace each other's culture, right? When you embrace what, what you're about and who you are as people. And that's what we got. That's what the struggle, right? That's going to be our, our main um, challenge for this museum and find those commonalities because they're there, right? And you know this from your everyday uh, interactions with each other. And that's what the beauty of it, right? That's what really makes the story and shapes the story. Yeah, I think uh, here here at the Mindset Podcast, Anthony and I always like to reiterate that life is hard, right? Whether you choose to be a director of a museum, whether you choose to go down the corporate route, whatever decision or career path you choose, things will always get tough no matter where you are. Um, but we like to say, like, just choose your heart, right? Because it's going to be no matter where you go, at least you might as well choose something that you enjoy um, and you like doing day to day, although it might get hard at times. 
what do you say to that person that you know might think that what they're getting into might be easier what maybe some experiences that you can share with us of times that were difficult i know you mentioned a few moments ago that raising money is something that is extraordinarily difficult um, especially for museums and organizations organizations as such um, but how much of that do you go back to your reason and you go back to your why of like i love this so much and what advice do you have for someone that can maybe adapt that same attitude yeah you know i think i'm fortunate to have chosen a, a career path that that has you know visible rewards let's say so for many people the rewards can be just you know knowing that you're doing something good or knowing that you do something that satisfies you or you're good with hands-on and you like building things uh you know, but for in the museum field, you, you see a museum, you see exhibits, you see a product, you see something being created. But what really excites me the most, it keeps me going, it's not just that product. It's more about, you know, talking to people, interacting with them, like I said, uncovering those stories. And it's really about the passion that people have. So there may be detractors, like you were saying earlier, there may be people that are against what we're doing or trying to change history. But that's passion also, isn't it? You know, they're, they're showing a passion for something they believe in. So you really got to listen to everybody and try to uncover that because that's really what, what makes a difference. And, and it's really what keeps you going. You know, when I travel to different cities, I just came back from Chicago and Denver last week. You know, when you meet with so many different people and you tell them about your project and what and you want to do and, and they all want to help. Right. And, it, and it's not only financially, it could be, you know, either they, they want to volunteer eventually or they want to become members or they want to donate some of their items, some of their objects to the collection. Or they want to share a story about their family and how they got here and what they've been through and how they've succeeded or what they're doing now. You know, whatever the story is, that kind of passion and kind of gets you really excited and it really drives uh, this project and it's going to drive it for the next decade or so. Because uh, without that, it's just another construction project, right? There's no substance to it. You really need the people and their passion to make it happen. Very interesting, and I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the script on you, Jorge, here for the for our last question as we wrap up. What is the best advice you have ever been given? When you think back on all all your years, I'm sure you've had many mentors who have guided you throughout your life, your family, even at at some points. What advice uh, stands out to you that you'll hold uh, for the rest of your life? You know, I, I think I think many people early on in my career probably told me, you know, something simple like, you know, do what you like to do, you know, do do what drives you, do what makes you feel. When you wake up in the morning, you feel like going to work because it's something that you're really excited about. And I think to this day, that's probably still, you know, the number one advice I would give to people. And uh, and I, because you're going to get a lot of pressure, right, from family, other friends. You know, make sure you're an attorney, make sure you're a doctor, make sure you're an engineer, and you have you make good money and you pay for your bills. And that kind of, that narrative's kind of changed today, right? Because there's so many different ways that if you are looking for wealth, <laughs> you can attain wealth, but not necessarily doing, you know, doing that for eight, nine years in school. So that, that that's kind of different today. But I, I think uh, you know, trying to stay the course and, and what you really ha have a passion for is important. Because if I had listened to many people that told me that when I was 19 or 20 years old, not to major in anthropology or archaeology, that I was never going to get a job in my life. You know, if I had listened to them, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I did that, you know, and it wasn't the highest paying career at the time, but I looked forward every day to going to an archaeology site and digging and, and finding and discovering. And, and you can make a career, you can make a job out of anything you put your mind to and you really dedicate yourself to it. So I, the same thing I tell people today, if, you, if you're into journalism, you're into podcasting, if you're into 
whatever trade you're in, you, you will find that passion. And if you're so good at it and you dedicate yourself to it, you can make it into anything you want to. You really can. Uh, and I think, you know, that's what, and that's what I did. I, you know, I was working in archaeology and then I decided, you know, I want to work with collections and I started looking into the museum field and, and then the museum field, I wanted to, to do more and I want to do exhibits and work with collections that really represent an entire community. So I started building that program and applying for grants on my own. And, and so you, you start doing it yourself. You can't wait around for people to tell you how to do that, how to get there. That's really rare these days. You really got you to shape that path yourself and that, that career ladder on where you want to be. And that could be just setting some goals or maybe you know you, I, I could be fine being a curator for life, but that's really what I want to do. I just want to do curatorial work and build exhibits and build collections. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I knew going on early on in my career that I wanted to make sure that I was creating that legacy, like you mentioned before, that I was shaping my future and leaving something behind for the next generation that I was responsible for. And not to take credit for it, but just to make sure that they have something there that they can appreciate. 100%, 100%. Jorge. And I think uh, it's it's interesting, right? And I had the privilege of, of uh, participating in a career day not too long ago. Um, to talk about what I do, which is super humbling and being able to even think that people think what I do is interesting. And I asked the kids, I'm like, hey, what are, what are some of the careers that you guys want to do one day? And it's, it's so interesting because when I was in school, people were saying the doctors, the engineers, the firefighters. And nowadays, kids are saying, I want to be a gamer. I want to be a podcaster. I want to be a YouTuber. And to think that, you know, some of these career paths, you know, to some might seem ridiculous. But in retrospect, you know, in all honesty, there are people out there paving the way and making those types of careers very doable, very um, making very good money doing it. And it's kind of interesting, again, talking about history, how history we think back and, you know, the, the highest paying jobs were the doctors, were the lawyers. And now there are people, you know, who are multimillionaires that do have um, these big podcasts or, or YouTube channels or what have you. And they're living the life that they want to live, doing what they love. Maybe they're talking about history or maybe they're talking about, you know, cars or whatever it is. And that's a passion that they have. Um, so we always like to say here at the Mindset Podcast, too, to just, you know, pave your own way, right? Or we're not the we're not the character in our book. We're the author of it. We're always writing our own book. Um, and, you know, we get to flip the pages each and every day to see how um, we want to to live that next day. And it's really interesting, again, hearing um, someone like you that's been in this industry for such a long time and you even saying that, you know, back then, yeah, it might have not have been the, the sexiest job or the highest paying job by any means, but I'm sure it's definitely put some more li- uh, days in your life, some more years in your life uh, because of something that you you love to do so much. So definitely kudos to you. Um, and thank you for paving that way uh, for so many others. Um, and I, I appreciate you, you know, having uh, coming onto the podcast, sharing some of your wisdom. Um, but before we go, we do want to ask you where some of our listeners might be able to find you, might you know be able to find some more information on the Smithsonian, some of the projects you're working on. Um, where can they where can they see all that? Yeah, you know, again, thanks for for having me on today. And just you know, I, I agree with everything you said. It's uh, it, it's amazing that. You know, we are shaping our, our careers and are forging our paths in, in different and in innovative ways today. And that makes such a difference. So I encourage everyone to really think about that. Um, you know, if you want to learn more about the National Museum of the American Latino, you, you can go to the Smithsonian website, si.org.edu, sorry, si.edu, and, and do a search for National Museum of the American Latino. We have an incredible page there with resources, 
We have information on our current uh, temporary exhibits that we have at, at American History, at the National Museum of American History. We have a temporary gallery there uh, where we do have a showcase of basically one-on-one um, Latino history and, and, and talk about technology. And that, and that website and on, on the, in the exhibit, we have a very accessible exhibit and website with many layers of digital content and uh, images and scans and interactives and ways to engage the public. Uh, so we're taking it to the next level of what it means to, you know, to, to visit an exhibit. Um, but on the website, you'll learn more about us and how to help us, how to support us. And over the next few years, you'll also start seeing us more in your community. We're going to start having town hall meetings and listening circles in different cities, including Miami this fall, where we can meet with you and you can tell us and share your stories and what you want to see in a new museum. So that's, we're really looking forward to that. Oh, I love it. I, I'm going to go on a stretch here, Jorge, and say you probably have the coolest job in the world. I think what you're doing is so fascinating. I would love to just shadow you for a day and, and be that fly on the wall in your conversations. Because, I mean, it's so great what you're doing. And, and not only does it seem fun, but you're doing such important work. You're keeping our history alive. And the fact that you're going to be uh, hearing from the community, I think is fantastic. Because one thing is, okay, I think people want to see this. But another thing is saying, what do the people want? Let me go to the communities. Let me have town hall meetings. Let me pick up the phone. Let me, what, what do you want to see here? Because it is your history. It is our history. So I think you're going about it. Uh, you can't go about it a better way, Jorge. Thank you for keeping our history alive so our kids can learn. Our kids' kids can learn. Uh, you're doing incredible work, and we wish you nothing but the best in your mission of, of raising just a couple bucks, uh, not, not, too, <laughs> not too much. So we wish you the best. We know you're going to get there. And like we say all the time, now you are part of the Mindset family. Any way that we can help promote your mission or advertise your town halls when you're in town, we would love to do that. And just again, thank you for being part of the Mindset podcast. Appreciate the support. Thank you so much. What is up, Mindset fam? And thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating and review. Share this with your friends and family and anyone else that you think would receive any value out of it. And without further ado, Mindset out.